What's going on, guys? I'm Tom Bowley, and I'm here with the Shields Outdoor Podcast. We're going to be talking a whole bunch of stuff and uh, some spring, spring walleye fishing today. So stay tuned. Let's get it going on. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors Podcast. Your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and today we are joined by one of the best when it comes to sharing knowledge of walleye fishing, and that is Tom Bowley. We had Tom on a podcast last July when we covered mid to late season walleye tactics. You can find that one if you go back to episode 54 of our podcast. But today we're going to cover a few different tactics on finding and catching walleye here in the earlier parts of the open water season, along with the release of his new app, Walleye Now, designed to put you on fish anywhere at any time. Tom, thank you for joining us today. What have you been up to? Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's been a busy, hectic spring as we kind of start. I've been in the boat pretty much, you know, five, six days a week since... um, probably the last couple of days of February. And it's been awesome to drive south and get in, you know, get in a boat early. But it still seems like winter looking out in front of my house right now. We got the snow and wind and everything going on. But a um, lot going on the last couple of weeks. A lot of travel. Um, been fishing anywhere from Mississippi River to um, Wisconsin River, central Wisconsin, and then all the way over to everybody's favorite, Green Bay, Wisconsin. And uh, it's been a fun month or so in the boat now. And um, we uh, like we talked about, we released the app Walleye Now, which we've been super excited about. Put an absolute mountain of work into this, and for people who maybe haven't seen me promoting it or seen it around in the Shield stores, maybe um, Walleye Now is essentially an app where we took an absolute mountain of information. And YouTube's a great tool for me to scatter information out across it. I put as much information as I can to help people out there get on fish and just kind of document my experiences and what might help um, the viewers along the way. Well, what we really wanted to do is create a tool where it kind of takes the best pieces of information we shoot exclusive content which makes it specific to a certain body of water at a certain time of year and then we put them in a tool right on an app on your phone where you could be out in the boat saying man what 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 kind of pieces of structure should i be looking for in a reservoir system in june or what pieces of structure should i be looking at in a river system late in the fall and on top of just having locations it takes a deep dive into you know how fish set up on that spot how you use your technology to see those fish and then it also includes presentations and little tips in those presentations that ultimately catch you more fish in that specific situation so it was a massive project which took forever to make we pretty much worked on it for two years 140 exclusive videos right on the walleye now app and uh, we're super excited to kind of release it so on top of all the fishing and travel which i normally do we did the app release in the last couple of weeks ago now, and I've been doing a, a kind of a seminar tour tour through a bunch of the Shield stores, um, kind of delivering a great seminar, and uh, that kind of roughly outlines the app and uh, kind of all of those things kind of work in conjunction great, and it's been an exciting couple months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've definitely been a busy guy, and you know, describing that app, you said like mountain of information, and that that pretty much hits it right there. It's crazy, and you know, I think it's really cool the dynamic you have between like your YouTube channel and this app because you know, YouTube it's designed for you know sitting on your couch, whatever, just enjoying, and and I love what you're doing now with your channel, just making it really entertainment, but like super educational at the same time. But this app, like, okay have it when you're in the boat or when you're preparing for your trip and you just like life 
real information just for exactly what you're trying to do, which is super cool. Yeah. And like I always, I always try to relate it. We always get the question, well, I watch all the YouTube videos. So what's different in the app? Well, the YouTube videos, we might shoot a piece, let's say in, you know, maybe it's a side imaging piece where we put it out in May and we're fishing a natural lake. And that side imaging piece is a, is a good piece, but does it correlate to what you're going to be seeing on your side imaging everywhere you're going to go? No, it doesn't. It's totally different where we're looking for those fish, what they look like, what the kind of cover we're looking for looks like. So what we really did with the Walleye Now app was we took specifics. We broke it down into you know, those three types of bodies of water in seven different seasons. So you punch in the time of year you're going fishing, you select the style of lake you're going to go to, whether that's a lake, a uh, natural lake, like a leech or malax or a reservoir system, um, dammed up impoundment of a river system or just a river system. And we shoot exclusive, super specific content to that. And it's always hard in the fishing industry kind of going through the, the, the massive information and finding what's really practical. And there's always so much information out there. What I always try to include in videos is the practical side of things. So that's really what we focus on in the app is what, how can we make this the most practical tool for walleye anglers? So we shot all of these exclusive videos on location, upload them to the app. And it's really supposed to be, you know, you're out there in your boat, you're going, man, what, what was that piece of structure that Tom really keys in on in June? Or that's a product predominant pattern this time of year. You go on there and you know, you two clicks of your, with your thumb and you're looking at, oh, that's a, it's a stump point next to a river channel. This is what he's looking for as far as sweet spots go. And this is what the fish look like. So it's really meant to be kind of the walleye fisherman's biggest tool you can put in your boat this season. And I think we kind of, we, we tried as hard as we could to do that. And I think we were successful. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, like if you're trying to come up with your situation and, you know, you have so much information on YouTube with all your videos, it's like almost overwhelming, but it's like, man, what episode did he have where he went back and fished this one certain spot? You'd be, you know, you'd be wasting a ton of time there, but like you just go to the walleye now app, you type in what you're looking for and there it is. Yeah. And we wanted to, like I said, we wanted to lay it out just as easy as it could possibly be. And, you know, I always correlate it back to how do you break down a new, a new lake or an old lake, you know, and it's generally time of year first and then what type of body water it is. And those two things will generally dictate where you're fishing and what you're using for the most part. And on the presentation side, presentation side of things, we try to do the same thing where there might be a very different way you fish a jig and a minnow in a river system in the spring versus a natural lake. The weight might be different. How you're fishing, it might be different. You might be going vertical here and casting over there. So all those little things that make the small differences, we wanted to shoot them very specifically for that situation um, so people could quickly look that stuff up and be more productive. Very nice. So how did the idea of walleye now come into your head and, and how did you actually make it happen? Yeah, so in, in the early days of Tom Boley seminars, I was actually doing my own and um, – I would rent out like small venues generally this time of year in March or early April. And uh, we'd get as many people there as we could, you know, which obviously wasn't a lot back then, but it was fun to do. And I laid out a seminar kind of similar to the way the app is laid out, how you select a time of year, you select a style of body of water, and then you break it down based on those two things. And I kind of made this diagram of, you know, spring to early summer to summer to fall. And then, you know, we're fish showing how fish would shift around on a certain lake so that the principle of it's always kind of been there. And we use the principle of it, you know, your decision-making when you get to a body of water for the first time, um, as kind of how we wanted to lay out the app. Okay. 
Yep, that makes sense. Is is your app going to go into ice fishing too at some point? Yeah, we have ice content up there when we're constantly, I've been on top of just the videos that are on there, I've been backlogging content now for almost an equal amount of time. And we wanted to make it, you know, we included three location videos and three presentation videos for everything, every time of year and body of water. So we wanted to make it so we could constantly add to this. So I wanted to make sure that when we built this, I had access to the back end. So if I went and filmed a really cool video doing something, that I could immediately shoot a specific piece of content for that and get it on there the next day. So we we have a ton of backlog content right now. We're just kind of slowly going to keep pumping out throughout the year. And when I go places and want to add a, a, a really hot, detailed description of maybe what we did that day that was super productive, I can do that. So it's constantly changing and evolving and more information and more information, but it's organized in a way that makes it super simple. Okay. Yeah. That's very cool. Cause you started with like 160 videos or something like that. And then it's just going to keep getting better and better. Yep. Keeps We're just going to keep expanding that amount of content and we're already working on another big, you know, I can't say everything yet, but another big kind of version to add on that will implement down the road here a little ways. So constantly changing. We got, like I said, we wanted to make it kind of the walleye fisherman's best friend and kind of their home for that hardcore practical information. Cause if you just type stuff into YouTube or try to read, you know, articles on it, maybe you can almost get lost in the misinformation that doesn't really apply to you. So we wanted to give everybody that hardcore practical information, um, you know, in the easiest format to follow right at their fingertips. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's something you do just about better than anybody else out there. And I got to give you kudos to that. So you've, you talked a little bit about seminars and, and having some of these at Shields. Can you just dive into that a little bit? Yeah. So we actually, we wanted to, in, in the world that we live in the fishing world, I feel like a lot of times, um, people want to see things to, to, to really kind of get a feel for it. So we really wanted to get, um, this product into a retail store and we kind of shields was at the top of our list. And luckily we, you know, working together with shields, we got it into a, basically a physical product. We have an end cap in the, you know, the shield stores with our kind of walleye now video playing. Um, some awesome product on that end cap plus QR codes. So people could kind of, you know, watch it, get a feel for it, see the kind of the physical form of the product and download it right in the store. And with that, I always, I kind of wanted to do like a, not necessarily like a media release, but I kind of wanted to talk to people in person um, as the app was being released and uh, doing a seminar was kind of a great way to do that. So a lot of the seminar, what I talk about is a lot of the same practical things, you know, that are, are focused on in the app. Now, the great part is, like I always say in the seminar, is, you know, hey, if you miss something, if if this went too fast, if you're wondering, oh, what did he say for June on a flowage system? It's all available right on the Walleye Now app. So it, it, it really kind of allows me to not just promote it, you know, promote, you know, do an awesome seminar with Shields, um, but it also kind of allows me to talk to a lot of the people and a lot of the users um, on the app. And we just surpassed, I want to say, like 11 or 12,000 downloads. Um, just yesterday or today or something like that. So it's awesome to hear as I go around and do all these seminars, it's awesome to talk to a lot of people who are using the app and hear the good feedback, hear the feedback where, hey, maybe the app glitched out. And we, we I have no idea how to make an app. So dealing with uh, the company, you know, the people that we had worked with to create the app, it's a lot of back and forth just saying, hey, you know, uh, we had an issue with Canadian Android users. I have no idea how to fix that. So it's great <laughs> to talk to some of these people and say, okay, talk to it now i talk to it we get the problem fixed so it's this great kind of back and forth um you know as i've been doing these seminars just to kind of hear the feedback and you know have it all kind of flow naturally like that 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just that feedback is super valuable and it's good to have it in, you know, like the infancy stages and then when people first start using it and then just use all that to make it better. And, you know, when I, when I first heard about these seminars, it was a gal at St. Cloud, her name is Sandy. I'm sure you, you know her pretty well now, but she, mm-hmm. she called me and was like, Hey, we got Tom Bowley lined up for these seminars and this new app that he's putting on. And I was like, okay, you have my immediate attention now. I'm very interested in this. What is this app about? And like, how is this going to go? And then, and then I was like, okay, well, I, I want to get our main page involved for sure. So like, can we co-host this event? Because like your t- tickets for it sold out like in, within an hour. It was kind of crazy because it was just a small venue. So it was like, people need to know this information. So, okay, let's, let's host it. Let's, let's blow this thing up. It's just, it's super cool to see. Yeah, and with the walleye now, it was kind of, and we kind of anticipated it be this way. It's kind of, with it being kind of the first thing like this in the marketplace, um, there's a lot of questions on just what is it. So I feel like most of my job the last couple of weeks has just been um, wording it in a way where people understand it. Because once you get it on your phone and play with it, it's super easy to understand. It's just kind of you know describing to people what that is. It's a powerful walleye fishing tool. It has all the information you want and need right at your fingertips in a super easy to navigate format. And, you know, talking to all the people, whether that's at Shields or through YouTube, um, that's kind of been the primary goal is just helping people kind of grasp what it really is and not just this huge heaping mound of information. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of good information here, you know, talking about the app, talking about these seminars, but, you know, let's dive into some fishing stuff now. I'm a little bit ready for that. You know, I finally landed Tom Bully here. I got a few questions for you. (laughs) So, you know, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, like your fishing so far, you know, a lot of river system stuff, which makes sense since most of the lakes are still iced over. You can't get to them. Um, You know, what's kind of your strategy now, you know, like, mid to late April, like for the next month and a half, what are you going to be doing from just like a 10,000 foot overview? Yeah, it'll still be a lot of the same. Um, up here, I'm still looking at like 20 plus inches of ice on all the lakes. So the lakes in Northern Wisconsin and Northern Minnesota got a little ways to go, unfortunately, but um, our river systems are great lakes or fishery, like green Bay, for example, that'll be a lot of what we're doing, obviously. And I like to do, I really want to start doing a lot more river stuff. Um, the green bay stuff's super fun but it's repetitive you know it's obviously probably one of the better big fish bites you can get on anywhere right now the average size is unreal but it gets kind of a lot of the same type of content over and over so i always like mixing it up and keeping it relevant to wherever people are fishing so like a lot of our river systems that we're fishing right now water temps this spring have been all over the place it's probably the least consistent rise of water temps i've ever seen since i've been traveling around and doing all this fishing and we've had water temps you know, and I feel like in early March, we were already looking at low 40 degree range. And then it's like they fell out and it was super cold again for a long time. They started creeping back up and then we just crashed again the next couple of days. So it's a lot of this up and down water temperature. On top of that, we started out with probably some of the lowest water levels I've seen on rivers in years. Just, you know, kind of from the previous year, just not a lot of rain. Systems really low and clear. And then all of a sudden this year we've had these two huge spikes and we just had a, a you know a big time rain the last few days here so we're seeing a lot and a lot of changing conditions overall in these river systems and normally when you see that springs and rivers not super complicated to fish overall most of the time there's obviously this up river movement really early in the spring that's happening and we're starting to see water temps kind of in that low 40 degree range and a lot of times from there up to that you know upper 40 degree range is a lot of times some of the best 
fishing in a lot of these river systems. As the spring goes on, more and more of these big fish kind of a lot of times will follow the males up river. So you see a lot of the big fish getting caught, starting to get caught kind of right now in a lot of these systems, whether that's the Mississippi or the Wisconsin rivers or your wolf rivers in central Wisconsin or whatever system it is. So we're, I'm excited to get back on a river system tomorrow and do some more of this stuff. Um, and a lot of times you kind of focus this time of year around areas where these fish spawn because the spawn is actively coming as we speak right now. Mm-hmm, that makes a lot of sense. So um, what what situations are you like not fishing? You know, like you're not fishing today. Why are you not fishing today? Yeah, unfortunately, with the release of the app and just a lot of stuff going on, I have to take like a day a week and just not be in a hotel or fish every all, every hour of the day anymore, <laughs> um, which I hope hopefully like in a, a couple of weeks here, I'll be back to just the grind life. But um, and the weather is just absolutely incredibly miserable out there right now. It's like blowing 40 and snowy and everything like that. But um, tomorrow we'll be back in a boat with uh, cameras good rolling and hopefully producing some awesome content for both the app and for YouTube. Okay, that's good to hear. And, you know, that brings me to a question that I think a lot of people have. Like, say you got your weekend warrior types. You've got, you know, your people that do a vacation and, and you know, they're at the mercy of the weather. So, like, you have some adverse weather conditions, you know, like a storm just front just went through. How do you how do you adjust your fishing tactics based off that? Yeah, normally whenever I have a, a bite that I'm going to call a tough bite, it always seems like the little doing the, all the little things right are what seems to get you bit more in a really tough bite. Um, like if, if you're fishing a river system that's likely really high right now um, with a lot of current going and the water's really dirty. Normally that means you're slowing stuff down. Um, you're fishing with more weight and you're fishing in a much as controlled as you possibly can in that current. So um, whether that's like dragging Dubuque rigs, uh, heavy jigs, or just a, a like a three-way bouncer, some kind of presentation that fishes really slow, you know, and lets the fish, you know, feel it and just really kind of, you know, fishes it slow, creeps it right up on the fish. You know, if you're fishing like a lake in a bite like this, where these, you know, these water temps going way down in this cold front, a lot of times it's just doing the right things right or the small things right. Like, you know, making sure you're around fish and you're not spending a lot of time fishing for fish that already don't want to bite um, when you're, you know, mo- moving through this area that has fish very quickly. It's easy, like if you're fishing out in Green Bay, where generally a lot of guys just drift fish, they get around fish, they drift through them and they make drift after drift after drift. Well, it's easy for a lot of these pods of fish to move around or just totally disperse. So if you make a drift that's multiple hundred yards and all the fish are right here and you catch one, then you drift this other couple hundred yards and you don't catch anything, you know, it's important to mentally notice by looking at your side imaging or your 360 or whatever sonar, you know, you're using and say, oh, well, there's only fish right there. So there's no point in doing this whole drift. A lot of times I think when, when I think about tough bites, it's just doing a lot of the smaller things right. Um, that'll ultimately catch you more fish in tougher conditions. Okay, that makes sense. So, you know, that kind of brings me to like the first round of the FLW tour at Detroit River. Um, a lot of the people that did well there were locals and were like hand lining. Have you have you done that before? I have never done that. I I have no desire, I don't think, to ever fish walleye tournaments. And that the Detroit River might be the classic example of why I would not want to do tournaments. <laughs> but it's always awesome, like, watching them and saying, like, wow, you know, okay, these local guys were doing the whole hand lining deal, which I know nothing about, and, uh, you know, winning that way. And obviously, these guys have experience fishing in that kind of really high, turbid water, more than likely. And they're like, okay, well, hand lining is our way where we could present a bait 
you know, two of those fish that kind of stays in their face right where we need it to be off bottom to deal with the really high current. And, you know, it's always cool watching those. And a lot of times it is the local guys that have experience on those bodies of water um, where they're like, man, this is about as bad as conditions get. And then this is what we resort to, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. That makes sense. So have, has there been any tactics that you've wanted to try, but haven't like been able to get enough fish filming, but think there's like potential there? Yeah, there's a bunch of little ones. Um, one, one that I always want to do is, uh, like pulling flies. Um, it seems like a huge thing on, um, um, like the Winnebago system stuff. I always hear guys doing it down there. You hardly hear of anybody really doing it elsewhere. Um, I think most of the time they do it from what I've seen. It's like, uh, most guys will do it like on some kind of three way with multiple flies going with a big weight on the bottom in current. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff that could work elsewhere with that, especially when fish really key on bugs. Um, but there's a lot of little ones like that, that I keep just written down away. And I'm like, I got to try doing this, this stuff, you know, in the future. But for the most part, I feel like a lot of my content is focusing on the stuff that I see catches a lot more fish. I think as fishermen, we always want to believe, oh man, there's that one secret thing that those guys are doing. And we don't know what it is that are just catching fish all the time. When in reality, I think it's most of the basic things that most of us know catches us more fish. Um, it's just getting more efficient at doing those basic things either quickly or throughout the whole period of the day um, that, that that really probably catch people more fish day in, day out versus kind of the rest of the people, I would guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just, you know, using baits that you have full confidence in. Um, mm -hmm. So I got a question for you on maybe like some newer lures. What are What are some stuff that a lot of people might not have in the tackle box that you think can be potential game changers that have come out recently. Yeah. And a lot of them that I think of aren't that crazy of baits. Um, I think we're kind of almost seeing like a blade bait explosion right now. Um, for some reason, it seems like everywhere in river systems, it's like simultaneously people have started realizing how good blade baits are in really cold water. And I feel like you start seeing, you started seeing that a lot more kind of in the last couple of years. And, you know, before you always think, oh, it was jigging minnow, jigging plastic in river systems. And then I can't tell you how many times just in my boat, in my experience, I've seen blade baits become just the way to fish in, in a spring system. And a lot of times it seems like rivers in particular, those fish can just go so keyed on. And I don't even know if it's that presentation as much as it is. It's you could fish a blade bait vertical. You can cast a blade bait. You can drift it down river in current. And it's just a very small presentation that has this quick little, and it just pops up, goes back to bottom, and most of the time the fish eat it off the bottom. And that's kind of one of those presentations. It seems like um, whether you're in Green Bay on a Fox River, whether you're on the Mississippi, wherever you are, whether we're on the central Wisconsin River, it seems like that presentation has saved more days of fishing for me than uh, than a jig and a minnow or a jig and a plastic, which is kind of the tried and true that, you know, this time of year. Um kind of looking at another one um that i've seen an explosion on is like your uh, uh like the rapless scatter wrap style lures um i feel like a lot of people passed on that bait for several years now and now it's like all of a sudden people are realizing how powerful that bait is and it's kind of unlike any crankbait to the point it you know if you're familiar with it it's a bait that walks so it, it's a very light balsa lure that as it's pulled through the water it has this erratic walks it goes to the left goes to the right comes back to center and it's an unbelievably powerful bait when the water's cold and you're trolling really slow or casting really slow when the water's warm when you're trying to go really fast and insinuate that 
that erratic, you know, reaction bite type of thing. And those are just a couple of baits, you know, that come to my mind right off the top of my head where it's like, it seems like those two presentations are, you're starting to see a lot more of it where they're exploding and people are realizing kind of how productive of a style of fishing it is. Okay. How aggressive are you willing to fish those baits? Yeah, most of the time, this time of year, for most of your spring fishing, um, if I'm trolling like a scatter wrap style crankbait, I'm going generally, if I'm in a river system, I might go as slow as 0.5 if there's a lot of current. And if I'm fishing a natural lake or a, a body water that has no current, I might go as fast as 1, 2, 1, 3, 1, 4 during the day. Most of the time, pretty slow this time of year. Um, but if you're pulling a crankbait in current, obviously you don't have to go as fast to make the bait still work, which is kind of the convenient part about fishing river systems. And as far as the blade baits go, um, basically I want to make the bait burst fast, but not do a whole lot. And but what I mean by that is normally I'm trying to hit the bait just to make it kind of lift off the bottom quick and then fall back down to bottom on a tight line. So it's kind of this, both those presentations kind of have the same thing, whether you're trolling a bait like a scatter app that has this walk out to the side and back to center, or it's a blade bait that hits bottom. And it's just that little jolt, that little reaction, something. And it seems like a lot of times in cold water when fish are, especially pre-spawn fish, when fish are very just kind of, they're there, the bait's there, and they could just kind of watch one go by and, and not really do anything to it. And you add this little just flare in the presentation, this little pop for a second, whether that's a scatter app jumping out sideways or a blade bait shooting up. That seems to trigger pre-spawn walleyes in really cold water super well. Okay. And then for like your rod setup on this, I'm assuming you're going to want like a fast or an extra fast action on this. Yeah, especially when I'm fishing the blade bait. And one that's really grown on me is a, it's a 6.3 medium light, extra fast, two brothers rods. And I was just talking to some guys in Shields at the last seminar in St. Cloud, kind of how, how cool that rod is. It's a really short rod, and it's really good at like short pitching or vertical fishing. But when you're fishing that fast rod, whatever your wrist is doing, that extra fast rod, whatever your wrist is doing is what the bait is doing. And you can imagine trying to do the same style of fishing with like a, a very long limber rod. When you're fishing a rod that's, um, if you're fishing a very long, limber, loady rod, you might be doing this with your wrist, and the rod tip might be loading, and the bait's not doing what your your wrist is doing. So fishing something generally a little bit shorter, generally something pretty fast, um, where you get that immediate, whatever your wrist is doing, the bait is doing, and you have a lot of control over that presentation seems to be key for this kind of setup. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, got another question for you on those the blade baits. So like your Acme V-Rod or your lures that have like three different holes where you can put your line mm -hmm. in. What's the difference between those three and like how much of an effect does it make? Yeah, and generally I, I'll put it in each of the three holes and if I'm fishing it vertical, I try to get the bait as centered as possible. So like with a V-Rod, if you put it in um, that, that farthest back hole, the bait's going to tilt head down. You put it in the farthest middle hole, the bait stays pretty level. So if I'm fishing vertical, I like to fit, fish it right in whatever hole of the bait, put my snap through, whichever one keeps the bait perfectly horizontal. If I'm casting, generally I'll try to do the same thing, just keep it just a little bit head down. Because as I pull that bait, you can imagine it's kind of coming back to the bowl like that, slightly head down. Okay, that makes sense. And then you mentioned snaps too. Like when do you, when do you use a snap and when do you tie it direct? Yeah, so like on a bait, like a blade bait or any bait that has the side-to-side -side swing like this, whether that's a rip and wrap or whether you're going to a crankbait, by putting a snap on it, you're getting the bait to flare more. The bait will wobble sideways more when there's a snap on it because it can hinge right there. It's kind of like a joint. 
where if you tied straight to a blade bait, it wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get that same vibration on the way up. It'd be a lot tighter and you wouldn't feel it as much. So generally on that style of bait, I, I pretty much always run a snap into them. Interesting. Yeah, because I mean, like I, I always find myself confused about when or when not to use it. And a lot of times it was like, well, if I want to try a bunch of different baits, I'm going to use a snap. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, like and I know it has like a change on the effect, but to what level? But yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, I'd, I'd like to move into another tactic that, you know, we use a lot, and that's like your your soft plastics. What When do you know what type of plastic to use? Yeah, generally a lot of it might be based on watercolor or how aggressive you think a fish is. Um, for example, like if I'm fishing really gin clear water and I know the fish are more neutral, I might go to something like a, a minnow style of bait that does not have a big thumpy tail um, where I can just sit there and really finessely pop that bait and just kind of keep it skipping on the bottom where it's not a big swim bait where I have to do a big lift to make the bait kind of helicopter up and then helicopter back down. So a lot of times it's based on stuff like that. Like if I'm fishing a dirty river system, um, like we're going to be tomorrow, generally you're talking about obviously fishing in current. So you can get away with something like a really big thumpy swim bait, but still fish it really slow because the current's always keeping it moving. And whenever I'm fishing dirty water, I like something that at least has a big swingy tail, like a big swim bait. One that we've been having a ton of luck on this year are the Kalen's Tickle Shats. And they're a super soft, supple plastic with kind of that big thumper style tail. Um, but uh, we've had great luck on those pretty much everywhere we've taken them. But uh, great presentation for a river. You put it on a quarter, three eighths, a half, depending on how much current you have. Pitch it back behind the boat, drag it into the current. And as you pop that bait up, it gets wispy and hangs in the current. The tail's flailing and kicking all over, and then it comes back down. Great presentation for a river system. And I think a lot of our finesse style swim baits, I think a lot of people overlook for walleyes a lot of that stuff in the in the 2.8 inch size or your really small like three inch style plastics. And you see a lot of a lot of the big walleyes that get caught in the spring are on big jigs and plastics when the reality is a lot of us, especially when we might get up here to northern Wisconsin or northern Minnesota or wherever we are, we're fishing these relatively clear systems for a lot of just your standard 15 to 20 inch fish going to that smaller size plastic, whether that's a three inch ringworm or a, you know, a 2.8 inch pickle shad, um, going to that smaller size, going with a lighter jig and almost working it like a really finesse jig in a minnow, um, is more productive for a lot of these fish that are 50 to 20 inches and are super heavily pressured systems in Wisconsin and Northern Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so how about the people that, you know, have, fish with a jig and a minnow forever, you know, like kind of set in their ways, but you know, like see all this plastics and how effective they are. What sort of advice do you have for a person that's fished live bait forever, but wants to move into the plastic game? Yeah, it's a big jump to make, but ultimately it makes you a lot better jig fisherman. And if you try to work a plastic, the same way you work a jig where you just simply take it and pick it up and let it go back to the bottom and do this. A lot of people have this association with, especially spring, where fishing slow is how you fish cold water. And a lot of people think that you grab a jig and you go like this and let it hit bottom and that's slow. And you do this big, slow lift type of drag and that's how you get bit in cold water. Or a lot of times, you know, when you start fishing something like a plastic, you're trying to still get the bait to do a lot, but you're keeping it close to the bottom. As the water gets colder, the strike zone shrinks up and these fish don't want to hunt baits all over the water column like they might in 
late June, July, August, and in these time frames. So a lot of times if you're fishing, if you're going from a jig and a minnow to a plastic, you got to naturally make the bait do more. So a lot of times you're taking it in just this quick kind of wrist snap where you're just trying to make the bait pop for a second. And you're not trying to lift the rod three feet at a crack. You're trying to lift the rod six inches at a crack and then keep your rod tip high and let the bait pendulum back down. So you naturally have to work the bait a little bit harder when you're fishing a plastic to make the fish eat it. Because if the plastic's just sitting there doing nothing on the bottom, it doesn't get eaten. Or a jig and a minnow will still get eaten. So there's no rest really generally between when you're letting the bait hit the bottom or when you're working it again. And generally these quick snaps, especially in the spring, where it's just this quick kind of wrist pop. And you're getting that bait to just shoot up six inches or eight inches or a foot. And then tail back down to the bottom. The second it hits, do the same thing again. So fishing a little bit more aggressive um, is a lot of times how you kind of you know, bridge that gap between catching fish on jig and a minnow to catching fish on jig and a plastic. And ultimately, I think once you get good at catching walleyes on a jig and a plastic, it kind of does nothing but helps your jig and minnow game because you see a lot of those small differences in how you work a bait um, that also apply to jig and minnow fishing. Okay. And then so so for these people that have just fished live bait for a long time, like can they use the same rod they usually do or are they going to have to switch up their game? Yeah. I think you could pretty much use the same rod. A good jig rod is normally a good jig rod. Normally I like something, you know, relatively fast with just a little bit of tip load, um, especially in the cold water period where a fish pick a jig up on the bottom and you do this. Um, you could just feel that tip load because the fish grabbed the bait off the bottom. But same thing pretty much applies, same jig weight supply, and uh, it's just kind of getting used to working the bait a little bit different a lot of times. Okay. That makes sense. So, you know, talking about all these tactics and then thinking about, you know, transitioning into your midsummer and your late summer fishing, if, if someone could only have two or potentially three rods to cover like all these applications that you fish with, what what would the size and action be? Yeah, I'd probably do, um, the live bait rod I'd fish the most, whether that's a rigging or a slip bobbering or whatever it might be for that. Normally I like something seven, three to seven, six medium light, just a regular fast action rod that has plenty of load. A lot of times that's going to be my favorite presentation of fishing like a leech or a crawler on a spinner rig or something like that. Um, that longer rod that's loadier seven, three to seven, six. If I'm looking at just a jig rod, most of the time I like something medium light, um, faster, extra fast in that 610 to 7, range right in there. And you want this rod to be a little bit faster than you want this long loady live bait rod. Um, you kind of want, you know, the midsection to have a little bit of load, but that tip to have a, a fair amount of flex. And th- those two rods are pretty close together. You could probably even get away with just using, you know, one rod for that to kind of maximize, um, you know, how you're going to, how you're going to fish them. But um, the other rod that I'd absolutely throw in a lineup would be something six, nine, six, 10, maybe seven foot, um, medium fast. And a lot of times that's like your power fishing rod, whether you're going to fish a three eighth ounce jig and a plastic or a you know quarter ounce jig and a plastic, but a much stiffer rod overall that, you know, when you pop a bait, it does exactly what your wrist does, whether in this might work good for like a rip and wrap, a blade bait, a big jig and a plastic. Those presentations all work, you know, I classify under the power fishing side. And you generally want a little bit stiffer rod, generally a medium fast, six, nine to seven foot, I'd say. Okay, perfect. A lot of great information there. Hopefully this is going to help uh, help people catch a lot more fish in the upcoming months. So if, uh, if you could pick one fishing trip that you have planned up, which one are you most excited for? 
there's a lot of them this year and I very rarely plan anything very far out. Um, but it, we were talking a little bit about South Dakota before uh, we kind of shot this. I'm looking forward to some stuff out there. I'm looking forward to some other Western reservoir type stuff, um, whether that's North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, wherever it might end up be. Um, but I'm looking forward to kind of getting my feet wet over there a little bit more. Okay. Oh, that brings me up to a good question and I'm going to be a little selfish here. So I'm headed to Chamberlain, South Dakota, like in a couple of days. So we're talking reservoir Lake here. Temperatures have been like, 35 the past few days and it's going to creep up and it's going to get into like upper 50s in the later part of the week what strategy do you have for me so i can outfish all these shields experts <laughs> well generally in all these reservoir systems the movement kind of stays the same generally it's wherever the big inflow of that lake is is a lot of times where you see most of the fish pile up this time of year and like a lot of places it's you know jig and minnow obviously great way to target fish nowhere pretty much wherever you're going to go this time of year um and generally it's if there is current coming in you're just fishing the lightest weight you could possibly fish um in that current area um where you're still just barely touching bottom when the water is really cold same thing goes to plastics and you know in these type of systems where in, in these reservoirs we might have a little bit of stain color to the water um you know the blade bait can be a super powerful one that we've seen work a ton of times um, but a lot of times it's just getting around the most fish on, on these type of systems that, um, you know, and generally that's that near whatever the big inflow is, you know, wave of fish that pushes up there. And then, you know, it might be a situation where you have a big shallow flat here and a lot of these fish might stage in a little bit deeper water. And especially when it starts getting nice all later in the week, more fish will start moving up onto these, these shallower structures for sure. All right. Perfect. I'll make sure to keep that in mind. So Thank you again for your time, Tom. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll link your YouTube channel, social stuff down there. And, uh, you know, for people listening to this, make sure to check out that new app. Yeah, appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for having me and uh, enjoyed talking walleyes for a little bit. You just heard our segment with walleye guru Tom Boley. If you don't already subscribe to his YouTube channel, make sure to check that out for tons of fishing information and entertainment and his new app, Walleye Now, is available wherever you download your apps. If you're listening to this podcast at or close to the release date, make sure to take advantage of our fishing sale event happening April 23rd to May 1st, where you can find some great deals on rods, reels, tackle, and get everything you need for the upcoming open water season. And with that, we'd like to thank you all for listening, and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.